You are caring for Gary Leonard on your ICU shift. He's a 36-year-old man with Goodpasture syndrome, a disease in which autoantibodies are attacking the kidneys and the lungs. Many patients with Goodpasture syndrome are treated with plasmapheresis, which is a process in which the plasma is separated from the blood, the patient's antibodies are removed, and then a treated or unaffected plasma is returned to the patient. As you explain the necessary procedure to Gary, he asks exactly how much plasma is going to be taken out of his body. He's wondering if he'll have any left in his body during the procedure and whether it's safe. As you prepare to explain your answer to Gary, you wonder, what's the best way to answer his question without alarming him further? Consider your answer as we begin this next episode. Welcome to Audiobricks. I'm Adam Weinstein, bringing nephrology from our bricks to your ears. After completing this brick, you will be able to, one, describe the intracellular fluid, or ICF, and extracellular fluid, or ECF, compartments of the body. Two, within the ECF, differentiate between the interstitial and vascular components. Three, estimate the following volumes in the various compartments for a 70-kilogram person, including the total body water extracellular fluid volume, plasma volume, interstitial volume, and intracellular fluid volume. Four, identify the major intracellular and extracellular cations. And five, discuss the changes in the volume and composition of each body fluid compartment that occur in response to infusions of isotonic, hypotonic, or hypertonic solutions into the ECF. Part one, what are the body fluid compartments? Water is the most abundant substance in the human body. It's present in every cell and tissue, even bone, and it makes up approximately 60% of the body by weight. Water is obviously critical for survival, and the water needs to be distributed properly throughout the body. In this episode, we will discuss how water is distributed throughout the body, and we'll apply this to a few clinical situations as well. As we begin, it will be helpful to think of the body as being divided into a few separate fluid compartments. The first compartments are the intracellular and extracellular compartments, or ICF and ECF. All the cell membranes throughout the body are what separate the ICF, what's inside all of the cells in our bodies, from the ECF, what's outside of all of our cells. Cell membranes, as you know, are semi-permeable membranes that allow certain substances to pass across them freely while they provide a barrier to other substances. Two-thirds of the body's water is found in the intracellular space, whereas the remaining one-third is in the extracellular space. The ECF compartment is then further divided into the intravascular and interstitial spaces. The intravascular volume comprises all of the ECF within the arterial and venous system. It represents about 25% of the total ECF, and sometimes is referred to as plasma volume to differentiate it from blood volume. Note that the blood volume and intravascular volume are different because the total blood volume also includes RBCs and WBCs and their intracellular volumes. The fluid inside of these cells are technically part of the ICF, not the ECF, so the plasma volume is usually about 55% of the blood volume, which is 1 minus the hematocrit. 
the remaining 75% of the ECF is in the interstitial volume, this being the space between the cells of the tissues, but not within the vasculature. The interstitial volume also contains the lymphatic system, a series of vessels and lymph nodes that constitute only about 2% to 3% of the ECF. A helpful clinical pearl to consider is that when the interstitial space expands, we get interstitial edema. This is often seen in the feet and legs because that is where gravity carries the extra fluid, but it can also be seen in any potential space, such as in the pleural space, as with a pleural effusion, or in the peritoneum, as with ascites. Okay, now for a question break. In which body compartment does the majority of water reside? The majority of the total body water resides within the intracellular fluid compartment. Part 2. How do we measure compartment volumes? In clinical practice, we usually do not directly measure these volumes. Instead, we make a clinical judgment of when they are expanded or contracted based on the patient's signs and symptoms. For example, a patient who has lightheadedness, tachycardia, and low blood pressure when they stand up likely has a decreased intravascular volume because they are having trouble getting oxygen to the brain. Alternately, a patient with lower extremity edema may have an increased interstitial volume. That said, as we are first learning about these compartments, it is a useful exercise to estimate the volume of each space, as some of these calculations will be illustrative of how things can change with different clinical contexts. As stated earlier, water may be estimated as 60% of total body weight. Actual values range depending on lean body weight. Lower values are seen in people with a relative increase in adipose, as adipose tissue is mostly water-free. For a typical 70-kilogram person, we can estimate total body water by multiplying 70 kilograms by 60%, or 0.60. This gives a value of 42 kilograms of total body water. Because one kilogram of water approximates to one liter of water, 42 liters would be the approximate total body water volume for this individual. Since the ECF volume is one-third of the total body water volume, we can divide 42 liters by 3 and get 14 liters to estimate this person's ECF volume. ECF can actually be measured directly. In clinical research settings, the synthetic protein inulin may be used. And make note, this is inulin, not insulin. Inulin freely diffuses within the extracellular space and can permeate capillaries and the intravascular volume, but not cellular membranes. Another substance, mannitol or sugar alcohol, has properties similar to those of inulin and may also be used for measuring the ECF. To make these measurements, we can inject a known amount of mannitol or inulin into the circulation and then measure its intravascular concentration after equilibrium. The compartment volume would then be equal to the amount injected divided by the volume. So the compartment volume in liters equals the mass injected in grams or milligrams divided by the intravascular concentration, grams per liter or milligrams per liter. In practice, this is more complicated because both inulin and mannitol are also excreted by the kidneys, and we must account for the amount lost in the urine when doing this calculation. 
The plasma volume can be estimated from knowing that approximately one-fourth of the extracellular volume is plasma, or intravascular. So dividing the 14 liters of ECF by four, we get about 3.5 liters of plasma volume in our theoretical 70-kilogram individual. As noted above, the plasma volume is the liquid portion of unclotted blood, not including the cells of the blood. Something we didn't mention yet is that plasma also differs from serum. How, you ask? Well, serum lacks dissolved proteins, whereas plasma includes the proteins dissolved in the blood. In most clinical situations, the actual volumes of serum and plasma are nearly equal and used interchangeably. For example, serum osmolality versus plasma osmolality. The exception being in patients with hyperproteinemia or critical hyperlipidemia, where insoluble fat droplets may be present. For a direct measurement of plasma volume, Evans Blue, a dye that binds to albumin, can be used. Albumin distributes in the intravascular space and does not normally diffuse across cell membranes or capillary membranes, so it can be used to estimate plasma volume using a similar calculation as that used for inulin or mannitol to estimate the ECF. A person's blood volume is the plasma volume plus all the blood cells, which are mostly red blood cells. The blood volume can be estimated by assuming that the normal hematocrit the percentage of blood volume taken up by the red blood cell, is about 40%. The rest of the blood volume is then the plasma volume, or 55% of the blood volume. We calculated plasma volume above as 3.5 liters. Therefore, blood volume can be calculated by dividing the plasma volume by 55%, or in our example, 3.5 liters divided by 0.55, which gives our 70-kilogram patient a blood volume of about 6.4 liters. As mentioned earlier, the interstitial volume is the portion of the ECF that is outside the blood and is the remaining part of the ECF, or three-quarters of the ECF. If we take our 14-liter ECF and divide by three-quarters, we get a 10.5-liter-sized interstitial volume. And last but not least, in fact, it's the most. The ICF volume can be estimated by remembering that the ICF is two-thirds of the total body water. So, if the total body water is 42 liters in our sample patient, the ICF would estimate to be 28 liters. Part 3. What is the molecular composition of the fluid compartment? Now that we've identified and compared the volumes of the various compartments, let's now discuss the molecular composition of each one. Note that the major cation of the ECF is sodium, which has a typical concentration in the range of 135 to 145 milliequivalents per liter. Conversely, the major cation of the ICF is potassium. These solutes are maintained in these compartments through the work of the sodium-potassium ATPase, which uses energy to move any sodium that enters cells back out of it, extracellularly, in exchange for moving an extracellular potassium into the cells. The work of this ATPase then maintains important concentration gradients for both sodium and potassium in these respective compartments. Because sodium is a small molecule that can freely move across the capillary membrane, the ECF concentration of sodium is equal across the intravascular and the interstitial compartments. Now for a question break. What is the most abundant extracellular cation? 
the most abundant extracellular cation is sodium. Part 4. What causes fluid to move between compartments? The body's fluid compartments are very dynamic and are always changing in response to water and food ingestion and urinary, sweat, and evaporative fluid losses. Since water can move freely in and out of cells throughout the body, with the exception of certain segments of the nephron, what drives this water movement? The answer is the osmolar forces, or osmotic pressures. When one compartment has an increase in osmotic pressure, water will move to that compartment to keep the osmolality the same throughout all the fluid compartments. This happens quite rapidly, and so we can appreciate it by noting the change in volume of a fluid compartment, rather than being able to measure a difference in osmolality between compartments directly. And this occurs even though the composition of solutes that makes up the osmolality of the fluid compartments is very different from compartment to compartment. The osmolality across compartments is the same because changes in the number of active osmoles in one compartment leads to the movement of water to equalize the osmolality across compartments. To better appreciate these fluid compartment dynamics, let's discuss a few clinical examples of what happens to each compartment when we infuse a patient with one of three types of intravenous fluid, isotonic saline, hypotonic saline, or hypertonic saline. Because we are infusing fluid into the intravascular space, in each case there will be expansion of the total body water in all these scenarios. It is the osmolality of the intravenous fluid and the changes this fluid osmolality causes in the intravascular volume that will determine how the fluid is distributed across the compartments, specifically in the ICF versus the ECF. Since these are saline-based solutions and sodium chloride is freely permeable across capillary membranes, the fluids entering the intravascular volume will distribute freely into both the interstitial volume and the plasma volume in proportion to their sizes, three-quarters to the interstitial and one-quarter to the plasma volume. Okay, so let's first discuss what happens when we infuse an isotonic saline solution. An isotonic fluid has the same osmolality as that of normal serum, approximately 290 milliosms per kilogram water. When infusing an isotonic solution of sodium chloride, also known as 0.9% saline or normal saline solution, you are giving a fluid with an osmolality very close to that of the serum. Because sodium is predominantly an extracellular osmol, the infused isotonic fluid will distribute into the ECF and not into the ICF. This is because the water will stay with the sodium to keep the osmolality of the ECF and the ICF the same. Since the infusion has the same osmolality of the body, the water or volume of the infusion will remain where the solutes or osmols remain, in this case the ECF. It will then distribute throughout the ECF, including the interstitial and intravascular spaces proportionate to their baseline sizes. Because these volumes account for 75% and 25% of the ECF, respectively, for every liter of normal saline infused, 750 mLs will fill the interstitial volume and 250 mLs will remain in the intravascular volume. The one liter will be within the ECF and the ICF volume will be unchanged. Now let's go through an example where we infuse a hypotonic solution. 
A hypotonic solution has a lower osmolality than does normal serum. One example of a hypotonic solution is 5% dextrose water. The reason this functions as a hypotonic solution is because thanks to insulin, the dextrose infused is immediately taken up by cells where it is metabolized to energy, leaving only free water behind. And here's a quick clinical pearl. In a patient with type 1 diabetes, unable to make endogenous insulin, the dextrose would remain in the plasma, and this type of solution will act differently and more like an isotonic solution in this patient. So this example does not apply and would not apply to patients with untreated type 1 diabetes. Okay, back to our clinical example of a hypotonic infusion. Following the infusion of dextrose water into the ECF of a healthy patient, since the infusion is hypotonic, this will immediately decrease the osmolality of the ECF. This will result in water immediately moving from the ECF to the ICF to equilibrate the osmotic difference. The osmolality of all of the fluid compartments will drop equally, rather than just the ECF osmolality. The sizes of the ECF and ICF will both increase. Why not just give distilled water? Why give it as dextrose water? Well, this is because if we were to infuse a pure or distilled water solution into the vasculature, the red blood cells would immediately uptake the water because of the osmolal difference. And they'd lice. The dextrose is a vehicle that allows the fluid to be infused and the water to distribute into the total body rather than just in the vasculature. Now, let's get to our last example in which we infuse a hypertonic solution. A hypertonic solution has a higher osmolality than does normal serum. If a hypertonic solution, for example, 3% saline, which has an osmolality of 1,027 milliosms per kilogram water, were infused into the ECF, this would result in an immediate increase of osmols within the ECF and draw water out of the ICF and into the ECF to equilibrate the osmolality across compartments. This scenario will do a particularly nice job of expanding the size of the ECF since the ECF gains both the volume of the infusion as well as the volume of the water that moves out of the ICF. However, it does so at the expense of the ICF, which will decrease in size. So this solution may be given in select circumstances only, for example, those in which we would like to decrease the size of the ICF. This would occur with a closed head trauma, where shrinking the size of the ICF of the neurons helps keep the intracranial pressure more manageable. Let's review these examples with, you guessed it, a question. What type of fluid should be given to a patient who is hemorrhaging after a wound to their thigh? An isotonic fluid should be given. This type of fluid has the same osmolality as normal serum, and so it will predominantly fill the ECF, which is what we want to fill in someone who has blood loss. And that's all I have today for fluid compartments of the body. So let's see if we've completed our goals for this episode. Can you describe the intracellular fluid or extracellular fluid compartments of the body? And within the ECF, differentiate between the interstitial and vascular components. Sixty percent of the human body is composed of water and is distributed between the intracellular component, 
or two-thirds of the total body water, an extracellular component, or one-third of the total body water. The extracellular space is further broken down into the intravascular and interstitial spaces, which represent one-quarter of the ECF and three-quarters of the ECF, respectively. Next, estimate the following volumes in the various compartments for a 70-kilogram person, including the total body water, ECF volume, plasma volume, interstitial volume, and ICF volume. Since about 60% of the body is water, then for a 70-kilogram person, 0.6 multiplied by 70 equals 42 kilos, or 42 liters, of water in the total body. Two-thirds of the water is in the ICF and one-third in the ECF, so dividing 42 liters by 3 gives 14 liters in the ECF and 28 liters in the ICF. The ECF includes the interstitial volume, which is three-quarters of the ECF, and the plasma volume, which is the remaining quarter. Dividing 14 liters by 4 gives 3.5 liters in the plasma volume and 10.5 liters in the interstitial volume. Can you identify the major intracellular and extracellular cations? Sodium is the major extracellular cation, and potassium is the major intracellular cation. This is due to the activity of the sodium-potassium ATPase. And lastly, discuss the changes in the volume and composition of each body fluid compartment that occur in response to infusions of isotonic, hypotonic, or hypertonic saline solutions into the ECF. The osmolality is the same across the various compartments of the body, and water will move freely across compartments to equilibrate osmolality across the compartments. Isotonic saline has the same osmolality as that of the normal serum, so we'll be expected to fill the ECF without any changes to the ICF. Water will not need to move across the compartments since there are no osmolar changes. Hypotonic solutions will introduce a lower osmolar solution into the ECF, so water will move from the ECF to the ICF to immediately equilibrate this lower osmolality across compartments. Both the ICF and the ECF volumes will increase. Hypertonic saline solutions will introduce a higher osmolar solution into the ECF, so water will move from ICF to ECF to immediately equilibrate this higher osmolality across compartments. The ECF will be particularly expanded, whereas the ICF will be contracted in volume. Thinking back to our patient, Gary Leonard, who will be undergoing plasmapheresis for his good pasture syndrome, Gary asked exactly how much plasma is going to be taken out of his body. He's wondering if he'll have any left in his body during the procedure and whether it's safe. As you prepare to explain your answer to Gary, you wondered, what's the best way to answer his question without alarming him further? You quickly do some mental calculations and see that Gary is 80 kilograms, so his total body water is about 60% of that, or 48 liters. Plasmapheresis draws out volume from the plasma volume only. 
So dividing 48 liters by three gives you Gary's ECF volume, or 16 liters. And dividing that by four gives you Gary's plasma volume, which is four liters. You thankfully see that the plasmapheresis machine only draws out 100 to 200 mLs of plasma in the extracorporeal circuit at any given time. So you explain to Gary that there is a lot of plasma volume in his body, and at any given time, the plasmapheresis procedure will only be drawing a very small proportion of this from his body, so it's very safe. And now you are equipped with the numbers for Gary to ask you specifically for those. And that's all I have for today's audio break. Thanks for joining me. If you like this episode, give it a thumbs up or a comment. You can enjoy the full brick experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. Stay healthy out there.